This message is for those that have come to know the one true God, for whom to know is life eternal. My name's David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia. So I want to share with those that have come to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, truly from their heart, and have been brought forth in you by the Spirit of God. How I share these messages. The Word of God says in 1 Peter 4.11, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. And that is what I will seek to do. It is what we should always be seeking to do throughout our life in speaking to others and especially to those that have come to the saving knowledge of the one true eternal God through Jesus Christ. There's another verse that says, Worship God and for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That's in Revelations 19.10. It kind of amplifies this other command about seeking to speak as the oracles of God. Because we have the understanding that it is out of worshiping God in great reverence and humility and in spirit and in truth, out of love for God, that we are filled with his spirit that can result in an overflow with creative utterances, so that we speak as the oracles of God, in other words, so that we prophesy. Because what is coming out of us is coming out of us from the Spirit of God. Christ said the words that I speak are spirit and life. And when something comes out of a person from the Spirit of God, it touches not just the intellect, it touches far more strongly the depths of one's heart, the decision base of their being, of the depths of their soul, of their spirit. So I will seek to be in a heart set and of my heart set and a mindset of worship while I'm speaking that will allow prophetic utterance. And what does it say? It says, worship God for the testimony of Jesus. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What testifies to the reality that God is so great that he could come into this physical dimension, become a perfect atoning substitute, and save us from eternal torment. It is that his love is that great that he could do that for us. And that reality happens through utterances, that this is real, that it is not just some crazy religious thing to believe that some people believe as some might think. No, it is the Spirit of God that has testified to the reality of who God is through us. And so I will seek to speak and allow God to speak through me in this message. And so what I do to facilitate that is the casting of the lot before God by using a random application on the internet to get 
two chapters. It could be any possible chapter there and throughout the whole Bible. And I pray with great reverence over the application, separated from all defilement through the blood of Christ. And then I cast the lot and I receive two chapters that would bear witness with each other with a common message, a common theme. I meditate on that for half an hour and then I give the message. And that is what I am doing today. But I'm going to be sharing also what I received throughout the week because I can't do video messages every day of the week. It's uh, too, it involves an awful lot of time. And I want to point out to you at this point that I did a video message yesterday that I normally don't do because I normally only do one video message a week. But the video message yesterday, which would be January the 19th, was done very differently because I actually, in the video, show you me casting the lot before God to get those two chapters. Then I put it on pause, do the meditation, and continue with the message, which indeed has a common theme in those two chapters that I received yesterday. In fact, what is amazing is that today I got the same, very same chapter, Philemon 1, twice in a row. Of course, with the other chapter, it's different, but it's also got a similar theme in the other chapter. The other thing that's different about this video is that I always do the main message to everyone in the world first and continue with the same video to now talk to those that have received Christ. But in this one, there was, I thought I put it on pause because there was an interruption of a port and phone call and um, I accidentally stopped the video, so I've got an introduction video, which is a general message to the world, which could be used for all my messages now, and then the message that I'm giving now. So I want to share with you that, but first of all, I did receive a worship song, and I want to share that worship song with you that I received. Now, I didn't receive that one by the casting of Lot. I often do it by Lot, but this time I just decided to choose a song that I felt would be appropriate with the message <clears throat> because I'm so fussy about having really high-quality worship songs. And I really like this song. This is one of the ones I like out of the 150 songs I have. And so I am going to um, now go ahead with that worship song. Here it is. I will minimize myself in a moment here. There we go. First, we'll put this on, I think.
something over when we taste our gracious Lord. Every cup He fills or floweth with sunlight of the Lord. Nothing narrow, nothing stinted, ever issued from the store. Running over evermore Till his only gives full measure Running over evermore There is always something over When we from the Father's was that song. I indeed love that song. And one of the many that I really like. Out of the 151 songs I have up there at loverealize.com. So I want to share what I received this week by the casting of Lot. Nothing is prepared. And I want you to have ears that will be attentive to what God would be saying. Because this message is for especially the churches throughout the United States and throughout Canada in this hour of great crisis in the world. And you only have to go to the news links that are on my website. At either of those websites on the home page, just a little ways down, 
links to very high quality news sources. Like, for example, Laura Lynn Tyler is a very good source to hear and learn a lot from. And The War Room with Steve Bannon and places like that. Very good news sources. However, let's go to what I want to share here that I received this week by the casting of Lot. And I had some amazing things that I've already mentioned that have happened. Getting Philemon one, two days in a row is quite amazing to me. And I spoke a message on Philemon one yesterday. That was that special video that I normally don't do. And this time there's going to be two videos for January the 20th because the first part is a general message to the world and it seemed to really flow that message this time. And uh, so some of you might want to watch that that are genuine believers as well. <clears throat> so on Monday I received 2 Samuel 6 and Numbers 9. And those two chapters both describe the ark of God and God's presence that dwells between the cherubims, except in the uh, Numbers 9, it is the fiery presence of God over the tabernacle that leads them in a cloud by day and a fire by night. And of course, they have video of all the melted sand and stone where the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea because that cloudy pillar literally melted the stone and the sand together and they found that and the chariots wheels are there's some gold wheels down there there you they've dove, dove down that you can watch in video and, and many other chariot parts down there and other things of the Pharaoh's army that was destroyed when the children of Israel went through the Red Sea supernaturally by God parting the waters. That's all there. So we continue on here, and it says here, Uzzah was smitten because he did not show great reverence before God, but had treated God as common. It is the great reverence from our heart before God place of dwelling that brings the presence of God, which then leads us into God's way. So that's basically what I said or concluded about these two chapters, which I received by the casting of Lot. So what is God saying? Well, let us just read a little bit of this. And it says here in 2 Samuel 6, 3 to 9, And they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it, out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah, and Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drave the new cart, and they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark, and David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord with all manner of instruments made of firwood, even on harps and on psalteries and on timbrels and on cornets and on cymbals. And when they came to Nachon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. 
And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his heir, and there he died. By the ark of God, and David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Peruzzah, which has got the word breach in it. Um, breach was made or something like that to this day. And David was afraid of Yahweh, the literal meaning of the word, that day and said, how shall the ark of the Lord come to me? And if we read the whole chapter, we discover that David moved the ark into the house of Obedim because he was afraid to take it further. And God greatly blessed the house of Obedim where the ark resided. And then David realized he had a wrong perception of God, that God wasn't some tyrant that you had to be very fearful of. It wasn't that. It was that his love was so pure that he could not tolerate the slightest corruption. But to have such purity means that there's no corruption. It means that God is the destroyer of corruption and therefore the preserver of what is good. For what destroys goodness is corruption. And goodness is wholeness of life and pleasure of life that has ultimate meaning and purpose and creativity and fulfillment that can contain unlimited life and power in a way that is totally pleasurable and constructive and creative. God is the source of goodness, and the Word of God says that God's goodness is unsearchable. But it requires that his love has great integrity, that he is a holy God. It is the holiness of God that I'm describing when I say God's love is totally pure in integrity. It is the defensive aspect of the being of God's love represented, as I mentioned, in the previous video in the negative symbol. And until we are totally reciprocative of the severity of God's judgment upon sin that we see around us and all the suffering that is in the world that we see in our own lives, the consequences of man's rebellion has caused death. It has caused suffering. It has caused genetic distortions and many other things. And God allows it to play out because he understands that the physical dimension is a very inferior dimension, but it is used as a molding force to conform people in the direction of God's love, the perfection of his love. All the pressures and circumstances of life are either to corner you to the place of true conversion, and once you're truly converted, that then do a work of molding you into greater and greater conformity to the perfection of the being of God's love. First, in the integrity of his love, out of which issues the greatness of his mercy and grace. And it's when we are open to those two aspects. And you cannot be open to the aspect of God's love and his mercy and his grace if you have not first totally recognized the awesomeness 
and the severity of God's love upon corruption, which is contrary to love. God is calling us as his people to return to the genuine fear of God, which is the right turning of the heart in choice to reciprocate God first in the integrity of his love or his holiness. It causes us to become very honest before God. That drives us out of that honesty to the place of great humility and reverence and repentance of sin. And out of that, then, we can receive his grace, his favor, like the song we sung, God is not stingy. He wants to pour upon us his blessing. He's jealous for us. He wants us to enter uh, that ultimate purpose of conformity to him. But if we as believers, even after we've received Christ, stubbornly hold on to temporal baits of pleasure in this world, we will go through a lot more suffering to God because God will try to get us to let go. And if we don't let go, we may end up in eternity, in eternal loss, possibly in hell if we've rejected his love, ultimately. Who wants to be in that place when you can have so much more? Like this song we sung. And you know that song isn't saying that you're going to have an easy life. It's showing that in the end, God's intention for you is good. And that even while you're going through the suffering, if you have a good and a loving relationship with God, you will know in the midst of that suffering, his comfort, his presence, that will carry you as it were on eagle's wings over that time of trial. There are many that suffer for the name of Christ severely. But when they are in that suffering, God gives them the strength that they do not have. He knows how much they can endure. As the word of God says, God will not suffer you to be tempted above that, beyond, beyond that which you are able to bear, but will always make a way of escape if we pray. God, deliver me from temptation. And always make a way of escape, please, Lord, because I do not want, I want to love you, not displease you. How many of us get afraid of God and get a wrong perception of God because some bad thing happened in our lives? or some bad thing happened in your friend's life, or we see all the suffering or some tragedy that happened in the world. And like King David, we withdraw. But like King David, we need to recognize. God is not a dictator. He's not a tyrant. He's seeking our best. When Job went through all of those trials, it wasn't easy. And the whole issue was to see if he feared God or not. And I've already described that the fear of God is rightly receiving the two aspects of his love, of his being, of the very core of his being, which is an ultimate perfection and manifestation of love that is the very source of creation and of life and of all things that exist. 
of intelligence, of wisdom, and so on and so forth. God is the very source of beauty. There's none more beautiful than God in the holiness of his love. It says to worship God out of the beauty of holiness. The beauty that comes out of the perfection of the being of God's love and its purity. So may we repent of falling short of the fear of God and letting the enemy lie to us like he did to Eve and say, hath God said, is God really good? Is he really, or is he just an outer space creature and a tyrant? Ultimately, the explanation for the world and all creation cannot be an outer space creature because there must be an ultimate source. And I am describing the ultimate source of the universe and of all creation. The other chapter says, and there was many other verses here, it says, and so it was when the cloud abode from even unto morning, that the cloud was taken up in the morning, and then they journeyed, whether it was by day or by night, that the cloud was taken up, they journeyed, or whether it were two days or a month or a year, that the cloud tarried upon the tabernacle, remaining thereon, the children of Israel abode in their tents and journeyed not, but when it was taken up, they journeyed. So in both of these passages, we see that it is the presence of God that is so important. And the presence of God is contingent upon us us being reciprocals for his presence and we cannot be reciprocals for his presence until we enter the genuine fear of God from our heart in worshiping God in spirit and in truth as they did before the ark and after David came back to get the ark they danced with all their might before the ark and they sacrificed an offering an animal sin offering I don't know, it mentions the distance, it might have been a half a mile, every half mile or something like that. All the way. Now, David was more expressive of who God was. He realized God is just, that he had a limited view of God. He shouldn't have been afraid of God in the sense of perceiving him as cruel. God's love cannot be called cruel. It can be called severe in desire for our ultimate good. And we need to re be recognizing that he loves his children and that's why he chastises his children. A genuine parent doesn't spoil their children they discipline their children so that they will become good and the corruption that tends to be in them will be dealt with. Let us go on. So what, this is what God is saying to the church this week. Return to the genuine fear of God. Come into a place where I can tabernacle among your midst because you've repented of the unholiness in your lives the gods of amusement, wasting your time and energy on 
sports and all kinds of other things. Am I saying it's wrong for you to watch sports? No, I'm not wanting to put you under bondage. Paul the Apostle made it clear that I'm free to do all things, but I will not be brought under the bondage of anything. And You know, it's just like some people become alcoholics because they taste a bit of wine. The same can be true with sports. And I see pastors going up and talking in a church service before the assembly when we're gathered together to hear the word of God and so on. And they talk about the hockey game or something. This is encouraging people in a wrong direction and is displeasing to God. It is time for us to repent and have the genuine fear of God. We don't encourage people in directions which do not redeem the time. The Word of God commands us to redeem the time because the days are evil. Now, the next day I had a temper tantrum. I threw a bit before the Lord. I was going through a trial and the Lord did not. I don't like what I got. Okay, it was Lamentations too. <laughs> if you know what Lamentations is about, it's about a lot of mourning. So we'll skip that one, okay? I repented of that. But the next day I got the following two chapters by the casting of Lot. 2 Samuel 14 and 1 Timothy 2. And both of those chapters have a woman that is used to try to deceive a man in authority under God. The enemy will use attractiveness of women and the attractiveness of a charismatic person, whether they're male or female, to lead people into the poison of rebellion against God and his authorities on earth. We're talking about the authorities raised up in the body of Christ, not through institutions that are often just intellectual and do not know God but authorities that are raised up by the Spirit of God, such as Moses, who went through great trials in his life before God could use him and did use him. Authorities that are raised up of apostles, of prophets, of pastors, of teachers, of evangelists. And so in 2 Samuel 14, 1-3, now Job, the son of Zeruiah, perceived that the king's heart was toward Absalom. Job sent to Tekoah and fetched thence a wise woman and said unto her, I pray thee, feign thyself to be a mourner and put on now mourning apparel and anoint not thyself with oil, but be as a woman that had a long time mourned for the dead and come to the king and speak on this manner unto him. So Job put the words in her mouth. And so she comes before King David and says, oh, I'm having this problem where I might lose my son because this is happening. And then she says, oh, can I speak a bit more, King? You know, you promised you'd help my, me, but can I tell you, uh, what about him? And he, she basically says, it's terrible that Absalom is in banishment. He should be brought back. And so we know what happened. Absalom comes back, and King David, being a merciful king, shows mercy to him, but doesn't want to see his face at first because he killed his brother, slew him with a sword and in a surprise ambush in front of people that must have scared the living daylights out of them. But after a number of years, you know, he burns uh, Job's land to get him to get David to bring and so David embraces him and loves him. And then what does he do? Behind King David's back, he 
He's a very handsome, charismatic person with one of the most handsome in all of Israel and keeps telling him, if I were a king, I would help you. But King David doesn't help you. And he keeps telling him and kissing them and hugging them and being a nice guy and turns the nation of Israel against King David. So there's a major rebellion. And King David, except for the help of God, would have been overthrown. But because he knew God and turned to God in this time of trial, he overthrew. And as a result, Absalom was killed by Joab in that battle that took place even though David commanded Job not to kill him, just to take him captive, because David wanted to show mercy to him still. And so he wept greatly over what happened to his son Absalom because he lost his first son, who Absalom killed, and now he's lost Absalom. David was ruling to forgive Absalom that would have killed him. That's how merciful he was, because he knew the greatness of God's mercy. And the word of God says, to those that show mercy, I will show mercy. Obviously, if you are not a merciful person, you don't know the mercy of God towards you. That's why Christ said the publicans and harlots go into the kingdom of God before you, because they knew the greatness of God's mercy. And Christ said, to those that have been forgiven much, they love me the more. Oh, how we need to know the greatness of God's mercy in our lives out of knowing the greatness of his holiness. In the other chapter, it says, In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel and with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broidered hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Let women learn in Silence with all subjection. And it goes on. I didn't want to get into reading all of this because there's lots of explanations for this. I'm sure that women prophesied in the time of the Apostle Paul and there were women apostles. There was even a woman apostle and so on. But there is the deception that Paul emphasizes here. He does say, I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man but to be in silence. <clears throat> For Adam was first formed, and then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in transgression. Not, And then there's an explanation for the next verse, too. And I don't have time to go into that, that she won't die in the process of childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness and sobriety. Probably what it is referring to. But the whole issue here is deception that can poison <coughs> us in having a right perception of God or a right perception of one of the people in spiritual leadership. This happened in the rebellion that happened towards Moses <coughs> in the wilderness. <coughs> bit of a tickle in my throat. God is calling the church in this hour <coughs> to wake up out of its insensitivity that allows it to be so easily swayed. 
into deception. I know people that say they've had a thousand trips to heaven and so on. These people say Michael Jack, they saw Michael Jackson in heaven. They say the dinosaurs were created in a world before the Lord created the world. That's totally false. Scientific evidence shows dinosaur footprints with human footprints in many cases of it. Verified by CAT scan technology to be genuine. <clears throat> so that's not true. So she's saying things that aren't true. And would God want us to know whether someone that was living a very apostate life made it to heaven? There's another person that died of a drug overdose. She, shot, she said she, this person was seen in the marriage supper of the Lamb. Come on. This is leading God's people astray. And the church just lets it go by. What do we see in the government nowadays? We see a double standard. And people are just ignoring all the inconsistencies in the government that applies one thing to those that want to believe what they want, which is a one-world agenda, one-world communist agenda that would enslave the masses, take away our freedom. And then there's even the rhinos and others that the same thing. Inconsistencies on this level, also inconsistencies in the church. And because the church hasn't repented of it, is it any wonder that these things are happening in the government? Because we are not willing to try those that say they are apostles and are not, etc., etc. And God is calling the church to wake up. Because when they gather together, not in their own name and interests, but in his name, there's authority. But you're not gathering together in his name if you bypass things that are obviously deceptive and poisoning the people of God and giving them a carnal concept of heaven or whatever else. I don't care how spiritual this person is that describes these things. They go and say that this hurricane wasn't going to come and that they would stop it through prayer and it came worse than ever. You still believe and look and follow these people? These people need to be confronted and asked what how do they repent of these mistakes or are they willing to acknowledge the mistakes they've made? But the woman will be preserved or saved through pain, the pain and dangers of bearing of children if they continue in the faith and love and holiness with self-control and discretion. That's a possible interpretation. Now, I got Philemon twice in a row, and this particular day, Thursday, January the 18th, I guess it was, is when I preached the message, the video message, which is up there, on coming out of captivity, so I'm not going to go through and preach this again, but I will skip this on Thursday and go to Friday, what I received Friday, Amos, I couldn't understand how that really fit in, but when I cast the lot another time, then I did see 
how things fit in. But I, you know, actually it does fit in Amos 3 with this. And I could preach a long message on this. This is um, not going to work now because of the time it takes to do this video message. But basically, what is the Lord saying here? He's saying, surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants, the prophets. And another verse is, the lion hath roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy? But he mentions a number of things here, because the children of Israel are in total corruption, and they're ignoring the purpose of for which things exist in their lives. And he's pointing out there's a purpose to everything, but you're ignoring the purpose, your the purpose of your life, because you're buying into all these temporal things, and they become your god. And in the end, he does the same thing with the lion. He says, "The lion hath roared; who will not fear?" The consequences of a lion roaring should be a result. The Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy? When you really hear God speak, you can prophesy. But if you're a false prophet and you're assuming that you hear God speak, then that is different. Now, how does that fit with 1 John 5, which I have received a number of times very recently? I think this week even, I received 1 John 5, and I've also received Philemon one twice in a row by the casting of Lot. But 1 John 5, I've received at least three times. And oh, there's a blessing in 1 John 5. And I, I would love to preach on this right now for a time. But I forbear because I believe I should go back to Philemon because I received it twice. And so I'm just going to go to the verses in green here. And it says, For whoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. So faith is born of God. And who is he that overcomes the world? But he that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So that which is born of God will, that is brought forth of God in our lives, will believe that Jesus Christ is the perfection of the being of God, the one and only perfection of the being of God, which the word son basically means expression. In Hebrews 1.3 it says, that Jesus Christ is the full expression of the Father. He is the expression of the perfection of the being of God's love. And it is only when we have faith out of a right perception of God and his love, as I have described first in his holiness, the integrity of his love, out of which then we can rightly perceive the greatness of his mercy that endures forever, which is his love. We cannot cry out for genuinely from our heart for mercy if we have not seen that we're undone in the first place in the light of God's holiness with the corruption that is in our lives that we may have not repented of. 
So the one that overcomes the world is not the one that just believes intellectually that Jesus is the Son of God, but believes from their heart that God could actually come and become a perfect atoning sacrifice as Christ did, because it emphasizes then that he came by water and by blood. And there was water and blood that came out of him when the spear was pierced in his side on the cross. And yes, he came in human flesh. God came in human flesh and lived a life being tempted in all points as we are and yet without sin. He maintained out of his own free will a perfect union with the Father. That allowed him to be able to be a perfect atoning substitutionary sacrifice and continue with a total union of faith in the Father. For he said, into thy hands I commend my spirit. He didn't have his fist of rebellion. He didn't get cut off with his faith. Yes, he experienced the forsaking of God's presence, but not his union with the Father by faith. It is faith that overcomes the world, that can endure all things, and can continue to go through whatever, such as, people that have been tortured for their faith by the Chinese Communist Party, such as Brother Yun, also nicknamed the Heavenly Man, which you can watch his audio or listen to his audio for free on YouTube. Audio book of what he went through. Terrible torture. You could never go through that in your own natural strength. The torture he experienced. Where they sent him home and they thought he was dead and he came to, he came to life if he was dead before his family and was sent back to be tortured some more. Fasted for 74 days, was it, without food or liquid, which is impossible, and was tortured terribly during that time. I don't need to tell you everything he went through and how the prison doors opened supernaturally, and he escaped to the West with his testimony. That is how great the power of God is to overcome the world. Moral, the word faith basically is the Hebrew word, or not the Hebrew, the Greek word, pistis, which means moral persuasion, obviously, in who God is in the way I've described God. Now, you cannot go in and continue to read all of this for time. I bring you to um, what I received today. Again, I received Philemon, one in Hosea 12. In these two chapters, there is one who is a slave or a servant that in the end is deemed unprofitable and has to face the fear of rejection in the process of returning now, not as a slave or a servant, but as free. The fear of facing Esau was the case with Jacob. Jacob was a servant to Laban. Now in Philemon 1, we know what it says there. Here's what we read. Which in time past was to the unprofitable. So this guy probably got fired because he was a servant, but he wasn't really, he wanted his freedom and he was kind of maybe half-hearted in his employment to this master. So he was probably kicked out. But Paul the Apostle says of this one, Onesimus, which was unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me. 
whom I have sent again, thou therefore receive him that is mine own bowels, whom I whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel, because Paul was in prison. But without thy mind would I do nothing that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity. He didn't want this brother to just do it all because I respect Paul, I'll do it. He wanted him to do it because truly from his heart, but willingly. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season that thou shouldst receive him forever, not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, especially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord, if thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. So, can you imagine you're got a guy that isn't doing his work proper, so you fire him. He's your slave. And then he gets converted. <laughs> and the guy you fired is coming back because he's been converted. I think some Christians nowadays would probably be very repugnant towards such a thing happening, don't you think? I think so. But this is how great God's love and mercy is, and this is why the song that's part of this uh, message is so appropriate. God is not stinted. He's not stingy in his mercy. He expects us to receive those that once were a slave to sin when they've truly been converted to receive our brothers and sisters. It says we're to receive one another as Christ received us, brothers and sisters. There is a time coming in the body of Christ that comes into this love relationship out of a return to the genuine fear of God, of a mighty baptism of his love and an incredible unity that will fulfill John 17 and result in the greater works of the Spirit and the fullness of God's presence coming down to dwell amidst his people. What do we read in Hosea about the great apostasy of Israel? And then he says this. He, well, I'll read even verse 2, Hosea 12. The Lord hath also a controversy with Judah and will punish Jacob According to his ways, according to his doings, will he recompense him. This is like the servant. He's unprofitable. So he's going to receive consequences. He gets fired. That's one of the consequences, right? He took his brother by the heel in the womb. This is speaking of Jacob, which means he will take by the heel. And by his strength, he had power with God. Though he was a conniver, he had power. Power with God by his strength? What was that strength? It was a determination to choose what was most valuable despite the deceptiveness in his life. There are those among us. Once we receive Christ, we still have an unraveling of deception 
to take place through the dealings of God in our journey of life, or what is called the work of sanctification. Yea, he had power over the angel. This is talking about Jacob. You see, Jacob was under Laban. He was a slave, in a sense, to Laban. He wanted those wives, and he was willing to pay the price of working hard, and he did really work hard for Laban, for 14 years to get these two wives. He only wanted the one wife, but he deceived him and gave him a wrong wife, and then he had to work another seven years to get the wife that he really wanted and was in love with. So there is Jacob, slave in a way, But he had a genuine faith in God, and he wouldn't give up. And so now he flees his master. And if you read the story, you find out that Laban caught up, caught up to him after three days, and he was really angry, but a dream was given to him not to harm Jacob. In the end, they make a covenant on the mountain. And Jacob begins at the end to become angry at Laban. Like here, he's got a lot of men, more than Jacob. To, he could probably have dealt with him, but Jacob rebuked him. You know, I was in a situation once where I should have rebuked some people that in the end took a lot of money from me that was my rightful inheritance. My rightful inheritance. Yeah, I can't get into that here. They had no reason to do that because I paid the penalty for the amount I had taken that was my portion before the time that I should have taken it, I suppose, in their judgment. But that doesn't mean that they take all the rest from me, which is what happened. And so I should have received another $93,000. That was not easy. All I can do see the mistake I made. I should have been like Jacob. Jacob had strength there. He had backbone. He didn't whimper at Laban. But Jacob is about to face Esau, which he deceived. And it says, when he wrestled with the angel, it was like he saw God face to face. Because he was wrestling with the angel of the Lord, which was Christ in body before he came to the earth, he appeared also to Abraham. And he's, Jacob asked him, what is his name? And he said, it's a secret. I, I'm not, I, I, it is, it, the name is wonderful, and I cannot, and I'm not going to tell you. But we know that that was Jesus Christ. Why was there a wrestling? Jacob was about to face Esau that could have easily killed him, his wife, his cattle, and everything. And he thought that Esau indeed might do that because Esau vowed that he would kill him. But he doesn't shrink back. He still faces and he wrestles with this angel. God is calling us as his people in this hour to be those that will persevere and come out of the captivity of fear.
which is a message that has been in this week, in the past message that I gave this week. The captivity of fear. Holds us from facing the things that are difficult. But if we have faith in God, we can be courageous because we have a right relationship with God. And I'm sure Jacob deeply repented of the deception that he showed towards his brother Esau. And also towards Laban, although Laban deceived him far more. But now he was about to be received. Kind of like the same thing that happened to the Onesimus. And God showed great mercy to Jacob so that Esau hugged him and received of the gifts that were before him. And brothers and sisters, when we face death or being tortured to death for our faith or whatever it is we face, God will always give us the strength to go through it. And like that song we sung today, it will be abundant and running over what he gives us for what we've been through. He will make up for the pain of loss that we have experienced. We need not fear. When you overcome fear by love, which is by faith in God's love, that perfect love casts out fear. It says in 1 John, that perfect love casts out fear. Because fear has torment and Fear is, has torment because it's a consciousness of loss to self in relation to self-seeking interests rather than in relation to God where there isn't any consciousness of loss in the measure that we acknowledge and trust in him and know that we are totally able to trust him because he loves us and he has our best interests in mind. God is calling us as his people to return, to come out of our captivity. To not enslave one another, which has happened over and over again in the body of Christ. In many different ways. It's time for the year of Jubilee to come forth in fullness. It's time for us to let go and let God have his way in our assemblies and repent of a denominative mindset. It cuts us off from one another. I could go on sharing, but I want to finish this message by saying that I have a, a book called God, Headship, and Body Invasion, which you can get on Amazon, as well as my other book on the afterlife called Afterlife, Incredible, Irrefutable. And... God headship and body invasion shows what you can do in your local assembly to not limit the fullness of God's presence from coming down in your midst so that he will come down in his glory and power and you will conquer your community, your city, your town, your nation when you do these things and you do not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting your life individually or corporately.
So thank you for listening to this message. It's a long message, so I'm fasting today, so it's a bit draining in some ways, but I feel a refreshing at the same time of the presence of God. So God bless you all.